House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Michael Holly Wood is in the house. That's right. Michael the Ripper, Holly. Just remember that, Al. <laughs> Hollywood. Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood works, too. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, not really. I mean, London's far better than Hollywood. Yes. It's free to know it's bad when London is cleaner. Hey, you know. Your city, and London's like five times as old. That's embarrassing. Is that where you are, Michael, London? Uh, no, what's happened is is uh, I have uh, Unsolved Mysteries might, uh, wants to do some filming in the... One of the places, uh, because it's Jack the Ripper, they want to film in London. Uh, so it's like, okay, twist my arm. I will go. <laughs> yeah, far better. Of course, you have to take me along. I'm your personal agent. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Four-star hotel. My wife and I did one of those Ripper tours years ago where you, oh. you you do the tour and then you end up at the Ten Bells and then the guy sells you copies of his book. It was it was really fun, though. Right. Yeah. Was it Don Rumbelow? It was, yeah. There he uh, is. <laughs> no, Don. Uh, he actually, he's actually one of the our top experts. So he's actually a very credible guy. Right on. So, uh, but I remember that uh, you know that's what he would do. He would sign those. So that's a good thing. We have so we have a copy of signed Don Rumbelow edition of his book. It's, uh, we had a great time. Yeah. So uh, keep that. You know, uh, <laughs> that's going to be worth money someday. Yeah. Holly's going to take over for him. <laughs> the wife want to go though. He's just he's just waiting, you know. He'll be over there, and all of a sudden, he'll go missing. And I'll, oh, I guess I'll have to take over. That's right. It'll be the new tour, Mister Doolittle. I haven't heard that name sure. since the '60s. You're bringing it back again, Doctor ah. Doolittle. You know, uh, but but Sean Doolittle. So, Device Free Weekend is your new book. It's a thriller. So tell us tell us a little bit about the premise of the book first. Okay. Well, yeah. So, like you said, it's uh, Device Free Weekend is a thriller. Um, I, I people have called it a techno thriller, and I suppose that's uh, generally appropriate. Um, it's about a tech billionaire named Ryan Cloverhill. Ryan Cloverhill uh, is the founder and CEO of Link, which is the largest social media platform in the world. And he has a powerful desire to disconnect from this uh, device-driven world that made him rich. And so he invites his six best friends from college to a reunion on his private island uh, in the Pacific Northwest. How many years is from college to this event? This is they're they're all in their fifties now, so it's you know twenty five years. They they met in the um, early nineties is when they went to school, kind of before the internet uh, came to everyone, um, and so now they're reuniting in the social media age uh, as people in their fifties, which um, Ryan basically helped invent, um, and so yeah, so they're gonna like. Spend the weekend. The, the premise of the weekend is no devices, so they're going to spend the weekend hanging out like the old days, and it starts off great. He winds them and dines them, gives them a ride around the island in his boat, and they have great food and great wine, and they sit around laughing their faces off, and and everybody goes to bed feeling pretty good, until the next morning, uh, the group, the the guests wake up to discover that uh, Ryan has disappeared. 
Um, and he's left them alone and hung over in his house on his island with no way of contacting the outside world. And so that's kind of the setup for the, uh, um, the plot that ensues. It probably wouldn't be a thriller if Ryan Cloverhill didn't have some ulterior motives for bringing this group to the island. So his, his goals and his plans and, and the group's ultimate fate is kind of the twists and turns of Device Free Weekend. I, I was thinking techno like in the nineties. There was a, Night club, light club I went to in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of timing of talking about a, uh, you know, CEO of, of some sort of social media um, empire uh, being, uh, you know, the, 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 who we've got currently running empires of social media and, and being in very much in the media and stuff. And of course, so obviously, without me getting into the story too much, your your uh, tech CEO is kind of a he's not he's not a nice guy. Doesn't sound like. I think he wants to think of himself as a nice guy, um, but he he does have he does have some uh, qualms about this uh, thing that he's created, um, and he as what I would call a rather bold plan for trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And he's gathered his old friends around him to either help him or stop him or uh, <laughs> fall by the wayside in the process. But, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's, got some, he's got some big plans for sort of recapturing what he sees as a monster on the loose which he's responsible for unleashing. And he does not tell them, it looks like. Yeah, they, uh, I, I, I said to another group recently, uh, you know, maybe the no devices rule should have been a clue for them, but they didn't know they were walking into a thriller. They thought they were just going to uh, a reunion with their old pal. Right. <laughs> and so, so does this CEO also own a, uh electric car company or anything like that? Or <laughs> No, not not explicitly, but I think... People who read the book will probably see uh, some similarities between Ryan Cloverhill and the people that we uh, hear about in the news daily. Well, do you do do you sort of um, bring that kind of into it? Not so much that particular story, but because they are social media, and your guy's the CEO of social media, it does circulate the news a lot because they're part of it, you know now. And so when you've got that, I, do, you, do you bring that whole aspect into your story, or are you trying to stay away from that? Well, you know, yeah, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, I'm, I'm, not trying to, um, I'm not trying to intentionally depict any specific person, but in, in trying to write a novel about a social media billionaire and make it seem somewhat authentic. There's there's lots of little tidbits of stuff laying around in front of us all the time that you can kind of use, uh, you know, to kind of shape the character. And so, you know, like I said, people will see some similarities. And I didn't I didn't set out to, um, you know, satirize or lampoon anybody in particular. But I guess I would look at Ryan Cloverhill as just kind of an amalgam of the people that we see on the news and testifying in front of you know, Senate subcommittees and, you know, everywhere else we look. So you're not blocked off of any of the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> not that I don't. I'm not a power user of social media anyway. I have a Twitter account um, that I use mostly just to recommend books that I like. 
uh, and promote my own, of course. Um, but I, I'm not. Well, that'll be disposed of soon. <laughs> well, yeah, people, uh, people, it does seem like it's sort of like the last, it feels kind of like the, imagine the last days in a city before the uh, bombing breaks out or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not, there's not a whole lot. The activity has gotten pretty, pretty low there, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But if Elon catches wind of this book, People keep, I keep seeing people. I was just going to say, if he catches wind of this book, he's just going to block you, period, anyway. He's going to put you on that starship and let you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what I'll do if I get blocked by the CEO of Twitter, Alan. It might ruin Sequel, sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, where does it all come from for you? Like, you, you, it looks like you've kind of um, been writing more in what would you say horror sci-fi sort of in the past or is that wrong I well sort of just by the titles as a young writer uh you know i started out uh writing short stories and at that time i i did uh start out kind of writing horror short fiction just because uh growing up you know the 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 writer who most lit the fire for me to want to be a writer in the first place was probably Stephen King. And so I spent my early years trying to emulate, you know, that kind of thing. And for novels, my first several novels were more in the kind of crime noir sort of area. Um, and um, I did like, you might be, you might've seen the title of my, the book that came out before, yeah. um, Device Free Weekend was called Kill Monster, which was sort of my uh, attempt at a kind of a fun action creature feature. Uh, But primarily I'm known as a kind of a crime noir writer. And and this book, I would say, is the first time I've taken a crack at something where the scope is a little bit larger. The stakes are, you know, I've never written a novel where the stakes were global before. Um, So this is my first uh, attempt at that kind of larger thriller. Because Ryan's such a, uh, you know, controls so much with that. Right. I mean, he's, you know, the, like, you know, the, there, I, I can't remember. And again, I'll mention Facebook or Meta, you know, whatever we're calling it now, not because that is the direct um, inspiration necessarily for Link, but I mean, there's like, I think there's like 3 billion users. Amazing. <laughs> That's that's all around the world, right? So when when you're doing this, I'm not sure how to ask, but what what is first thing? Is it the story idea, the 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 theme, or is it a setting, kind of a where you're at or what you're in, or is it a character? Like how did how did this story like this start? Well, I'll tell you how this story started for me. I. You know, I, w- I, w- I was kind of in a place where I was looking around for my next novel idea, and I was thinking to myself, well, what do I care about now? You know, the things that I, you know, the things that intrigued me when I was in my 20s and 30s are a little different than the things that I find myself thinking about now. And um, one of the things that I find myself thinking a lot about is uh, social media and what people are doing and saying and believing or, you know, acting, uh, you know, on social media. It's such a, pro- a prevalent part of our lives. And, and I have kids who are out there on social media and I'm out there on social media. You know, as, as I was kind of thinking about this book, I started to see, I started to see some things out there in the media like, 
I saw like a, I saw a news story about restaurants who would um, you know take your phone at the door to kind of like you know you you would sort of volunteer to be forced to, to have a normal uh, unplugged dinner with whoever you were with you know without the distraction of screens and I and I and I started to see stories about like destination vacation packages that would advertise themselves as being device free. And I, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, and I was also, um, kind of figuring out my own comfort level with social media around this time. And, and I, and I was starting to detect what I thought was kind of a, you know, almost a yearning amongst people to disconnect instead of, you know, be plugged in all the time. You know, it's really hard to get away from our phones now. Um, if you, you know, if, if you use a smartphone and are, you know, plugged into the internet, uh, they have made our lives incredibly convenient, but it's kind of hard to get away from them. True. And so, uh, you know, I was thinking about those things and I'm also like, uh, I'm a, I'm a guy in my fifties now and I'm starting to look back at my own, you know, I'm starting to have little feelings of nostalgia for my, you know, younger days myself. And so, you know, the, the, the idea of wanting to disconnect combined with the idea of, you know, kind of wanting to recapture uh, moments from your younger self, uh, sort of stuck together in a way that, that made, um, this idea start to percolate a little bit more, I guess you'd say. Um, when I was, you know, I was, I went to school to college in the early, uh, and mid nineties, like these characters. And I remember I took a trip um, out to Seattle during that period, and this this would have been sort of the you know the period of what I think of as peak Seattle, when you know kind of you know Nirvana had come onto the scene and grunge was kind of uh, taking over the cultural consciousness, and everybody was thinking and talking about Seattle, and it was at a time when I was a young adult kind of broadening my own horizons in school and learning new things. And this, this trip to Seattle was quite formative for me. And, uh, you know, I remember having my first Starbucks cup of coffee and just being very enamored with the place. And as I was thinking back, you know, like if I, I was thinking about, you know, a reunion sort of story for college friends and it seemed very natural to have them have gone to school during the same period that I did, because I comes from my own experience and uh you know Seattle seemed like a you know drawing from my own memories of that trip combined with the fact that there's a lot of tech out in the Pacific Northwest that seemed to fit really well and so the idea for device free weekend sort of came together that way with you know me just thinking about a few different kind of things that seemed to relate to each other and they started sticking together and the idea kind of clicked into place. You know, I, for me, titling a book is usually the hardest part of writing it. I often struggle with titles and this is one where the, the, the title almost came first. I, you know, I just, I thought, I, I think I saw somebody advertising a vacation for a device free weekend and I thought, boy, device free weekend, that'd be a good name for a book. And everything else sort of kind of started clicking together pretty quickly after after that title yeah. presented itself. No, no, for, no, vibrator free weekend. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> Seattle was a good old. That's a good old place for me too. Like as in, uh, you know, college and working and uh, and uh, hanging out uh, pre grunge, grunge and 
and all that sort of stuff. That was a pretty amazing time. I think it's my favorite time. Yeah. Looking back. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a, it was a transition period. Lots was changing and, and it was, and you know, Seattle's a great town. It, it was the early mid nineties feels like a good time to me too, but it's always hard to know like how much nostalgia is coloring your memory. And Well, it seemed like people were a lot happier. I don't know if that's true, but it just seemed like it was a happier time. Let's say, you know, that's that's one of the aspects of social media that I kind of wanted to play around with in this book. You know, I social media is is great in the way it lets us connect with each other around the world easier than we ever could before. It also lets us yell louder and uh, push each other's buttons. And, and it does kind of like I don't know how you feel um, if you if you I assume you guys use social media to some degree. Um, oh yeah. Uh, like often, like if I start my day on social media, it often colors my mood for the worse for the rest of the day. If somebody says something that I find just absolutely outrageous, I, I, it sticks in my head and sets my mood for the day. And I think culturally we see that happen on a larger scale. I, it does, it does feel like at times people seem angrier than they used to. Yeah. What's interesting is, uh, in the, in the world of teaching, before all this, uh, these devices, the fights at uh, high schools were usually on Wednesday, but now it's Monday morning. <laughs> Monday morning because they get all of that the device stuff going, and so everybody's going to, you know, take care of the business right when they get to see each other. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like yeah, the you carry the water cooler around with you in your pocket at all times now, right? Well, and it's it's a little different for us because we're a little older in the sense of. You know, we're not in high school right now, or right. so. You know, we don't carry things right through. It's not. The, it's. It's. A, I think it's a different thing with the younger generation than it is for us. Plus, they have different concerns. That's that's right. I mean, I you know, my kids, their their way of living life and interacting with people is both the same as it ever was and completely different. You know, just the the cultural norms of you know that generation that has grown up, you know, on you know Snapchat or, or TikTok or whatever it might be. I mean, it's 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 a different it's a different way of growing up for sure. Does this book have any of that uh, of the younger generation, or is it uh, basically centered on all of these these people from the nineties? Uh, the, these people, it's centered on these people from the nineties and, and some of these people from the nineties have kids, but it, that's sort of a, a peripheral sort of character element to the book. I, I don't, um, I don't focus on the perspective of, of today's youth. Let's say I, it's really more guys, my age or, you know, people, my age and older kind of, kind of looking at the world from their position. He doesn't care about young people. <laughs> yeah. Youth is wasted on the young, isn't that the yeah, same? Yeah, I mean, well. just, you know. <laughs> well, so writing a character in a thriller or in a book like this must be quite a bit different than writing it in more of a crime, noir, drama sort of thing. It must be a different type of character. Yeah, I would, I would say that that's true, uh, particularly in the sense that Except for Ryan, who is a you know living in a kind of a rarefied world of extreme wealth, there you know none of them are criminals. They're all you know they're all just regular people going on a trip, um, and so uh, I, I guess I guess it's different in that way. And and I also you know I, I wanted to I really wanted to portray 
lifelong friendship in a way that seemed both entertaining and uh, realistic. You know, people, uh, people have asked me like, how do you, how did you research billionaires? You know, how do you know what it's like to be a billionaire? Do you know billionaires? And the answer is no, I don't know billionaires. Uh, none of my f- close friends are billionaires, but I do have uh, college friends and old friends. And I, one thing that one aspect of this book that I wanted to play around with is something that kind of interests me generally, which is I, th- I find it kind of fascinating the way you can get, you know, there's a certain kind of friend where if you reunite after a long period of time, no matter how your lives have gone, the twists and turns your lives have taken or your relative social status you kind of immediately revert to the interpersonal dynamic that you had with that person, you know, when you left off. And so I, I guess I started building these characters out from that uh, thought, which is, you know, the, they're, they're going to, they're going to uh, ditch their devices and get back together. Like it's 1992 and they're going to act with each other the way they did when it was 1992. So is, uh, is, did they realize that Ryan was not the person they knew, or is that actually the person that they actually knew? A little bit of both. Uh, he is he is both exactly the person they remember and and somebody they don't know at all. Huh. What I was trying to get at with character wise, when you're writing something like uh, you know Kill Monster, let's say, or let's say you're writing like uh, Rain Dogs or something, and there's a mm-hmm. there's a crime centered there's a, there's a, and so whatever point of view of mind you're writing from, you know, the killer or non-person, there's a level of deceit, and I guess that would be in there too, but there's a a certain level of evil that goes on in a murder crime Mm -hmm. that you're kind of letting readers get to know. And imagine with the characters in the device-free weekend, you don't have, for most of them, other than the main the guy that put pulls it all together everybody else's mind would be remembering better things like you wouldn't be writing from a, a, a that sort of point of view do you know yeah uh, i think there's something at the core at the center of the ryan hill the ryan ryan hill the ryan cloverhill character that it's not like i'm not asking the reader to confront the mind of evil uh let's say but i do i am you know there is you know, Ryan's got some abandonment issues and he's got some emotional needs that have never, he's never fully figured out quite how to meet. And so the things that made him act the way he did when he was young are the same things that are making him act the way he's acting now. Uh, he's just got all the resources in the world at his disposal now. Um, and so, like, what I want is for the reader to find a way to kind of understand and empathize with this Ryan Cloverhill character, even though what he's doing is just, I mean, absolutely outrageous and over the top. Um, you know, like the Ryan's plan, is, like I said before, is quite bold. And, uh, um, and on the, on paper, it would almost seem unrealistic to imagine that anyone would do what Ryan is planning to do. But I, I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could make it seem realistic in the context of this character and, and what he, what he wants and doesn't want out of life. Was that hard for you to write, that kind of character? 
Like it's kind of like writing a, an evil character in a sense from because someone that's doing something wrong, a lot of times in their mind they think they're doing it for the right reason. They have a different right. Let's say a view of the world, and let's say what the majority of the people would have at the time, and so in their mind they're doing something good or they're doing something. There's a reason why and. It should be done, and they have sort of this theme about them that they're doing the right thing. Right. And so it sounds like you're trying to let the reader understand why that is happening. Right. Even though it's wrong. But I, So how is it for you as a writer to try and write that? In this case, I would say writing Ryan, you know, who is basically our villain, it was, I wouldn't say it was emotionally difficult, it was technically difficult to kind of walk the tightrope I was trying to walk with that character because, again, what he's doing is outrageous. And, and to make a person doing an outrageous thing seem authentic and believable uh, took a little bit of a touch. Um, and, you know, and it's up to the readers to decide whether I pulled it off or not, but I was always very conscious of, you know, trying to make Ryan seem both like an authentic human being, but also like somebody who might conceivably do what he is doing. You know, you mentioned uh, my book, Rain Dogs, which uh, I would say that uh, a book like that, that main character, I had a main character who was suffering from chronic depression. He'd lost a child and he was, he'd, he'd gotten himself into a pretty heavy drinking problem. And, and he was uh, really morose and depressed for most of the novel. That was more like the emotional difficulty of writing a character like that simply because you spend so much time in that character's head, and if you're doing your job right, it, it, it can't help but sort of start to color your own outlook on life. Um, so, uh, you know, a character like the protagonist of Rain Dogs, I would say, was emotionally difficult to write. Um, I wouldn't call Ryan Cloverhill emotionally difficult. In fact... He was kind of fun to, I mean, it was kind of fun to write an over-the-top villain, to be honest. Um, and I enjoyed writing the banter between uh, Ryan and his pals. Um, but, uh, you know, technically it did feel tricky a lot of the time. You have all these friends. I'm sure that there were probably some kind of old wounds back in the college days. Did you have any of those, like the today's stress that they're going through, pull up uh, any old uh, uh, wounds? Yeah, for sure. So the way this group breaks down, there's there's the protagonist of the novel. This uh, another thing that's a little bit different about this book for me is that it's really an ensemble cast. There are seven characters that I was dealing with who I wanted, you know, I wanted all seven characters to feel like prominent parts of the, no you know, like a prominent part of the novel, and I wanted them to all feel like individual people, and, and uh, you know, I, there, one of them can reasonably be called the protagonist, and that's a guy named Stephen Rollins, and so there's, this this group is made up of, um, let's see, one, uh, five men and two women, and this was a group of seven friends, that group over time became two couples. Uh, two of the guys are a couple, became, you know, uh, life partners, and uh, one of the men and one of the women uh, became married and had children. And then that leaves Ryan and Stephen, the protagonist, and Emma. Emma, uh, we, we, we learn as the novel goes along that, that Ryan has been smitten with Emma his entire life. 
And it was Emma and Steven who kind of got together as a couple in college. Ah. They eventually broke up, but there was a sort of like a, a triangle formed there that has never really disintegrated. So when they get back together, on the surface, it's all friendly, but there there is that shared history and those old wounds there that, that do play a part in how the novel plays out. Gotcha, gotcha. Especially after Ryan transitions to Emma. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no. <laughs> there are no, uh, there are no overt gender issues in the novel. There are, uh, there are definitely, uh, you know, there's some, there's some baggage and some history with the characters. Right. They say writers put in a little bit of themselves and all the characters. Who, who is the one character in this book, for instance, that, let's say, has the most of you or you're attached to the most? I, I don't I don't have an immediate answer for who I'm most attached to, but I would say the the Stephen Rollins character who is the, you know, ostensible protagonist of the book, I, I would say probably is the closest to me. Um we don't necessarily have all the same opinions and the exact same worldview, but like he's you know the protagonist and I think that's probably true in all my books, the protagonist is usually the character that's closest to to me, most resembles me, I guess. You're a good guy then. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, but there are times when people say the protagonist was so unlikable that I just couldn't uh, take him. And of course, that, you know, you got to not take that personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, you know, but you're, yes, of course, you, you know, some parts of you end up in all the characters. It's just inevitable. Why write this book? What was, what was this about? Or is there something behind the, the main idea, the entertainment part of it, the, uh, the thriller part of the book? Uh, is there something underneath that or something that you particularly wanted readers to take away from your writing? Well, I would say, for the most part, my goal was to write a book. As a writer, I I kind of I, I got to a point where I felt like I needed to have some some real fun uh, writing a book, and and this book was very fun to write. And I want the main takeaway from the book to be that it was a fun read. Um, I don't want it to be disposable fun, though. I want you to care about the characters enough that that maybe they stick in your mind after the book is over. I'd like you to think about these people a little bit after you've finished reading, and I'd like the book to stay with you. But I also, you know, I did, I did, I wanted the book to be thought provoking about the technology driven world that we live in without really being preachy about it or having a specific message that I wanted to deliver. But I did want I did want readers to kind of maybe do some extra thinking about you know the, the you know the nature of our society now and what it's like to to be plugged in all the time and and uh, you know maybe maybe think about you know their device free, you know their device usage a little bit you know in a different way than they did before I I don't I don't necessarily need them to have one specific opinion about it but I wanted it to be thought provoking for sure. Even the title does that. When you just read the title, that's the first thought you have. Well, I kind of—I mean, not uh, this will sound like bragging, but I kind of feel like you're right, and that's what intrigued me about the title to begin with. You almost have a reaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I find readers, uh, you know, have said the same. It's like, oh my god, I would never do. I, I, I would never give up my phone, or I can't wait to give up my phone. It, it seems to, it seems to, you know, ask you to have that reaction. 
Right. Trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> re, re, re. <laughs> Read with caution. What made you decide to get into writing, period? Like, where did it start for you? Were you the guy that was writing in school that always loved it and always wanted to be a writer, or was this something that just came along? It started for me the way it starts, I think, for a lot of re uh, writers, which is that I was always a reader growing up. Um, I wasn't always a writer, but I did always love reading. Um, and, you know, I like in school, like yeah, elementary school, middle school, uh, you know, I, I usually, looking back, I can see that I kind of excelled whenever there was a sort of a creative writing type assignment although I didn't really think anything of it at the time. At the time, I was more concerned about, um, you know, sports and, and, and things like that. I was in high school, toward the end of high school, I think I was about a senior in high school. Um, I, had a, I had an English teacher who, he would, he would read to us like one Friday a month. If we'd done good work, he would, he would take Friday off and read us a, a short story. And his favorite thing to read from was the short story collection Night Shift by Stephen King. I, I mentioned that Stephen King influence earlier. Um, and that was, uh, you know, I, I when, after he'd read us a couple of short stories out of that book, I ran out and bought that book for myself and just read it to death. I just loved him so much. And, and that was that was the first time I really started to feel like, oh, I want to try doing this. I, wa I want to... I want to make happen what these stories are making happen in me as a reader. And so I, I guess I was, I remember when I was a senior in high school, I remember, like, I had no idea how anybody became a writer. Um, but I, I, I tried my hand at a couple of kind of very bad, you know, kid stuff, short stories. Um, and I really loved doing it. And I remember, like, my senior class went on a field trip to the library. I think we had a, I think we had a research paper or something. And so we went to the, we went to the local library in Lincoln, Nebraska. And while everybody was looking up the books they were supposed to be looking up for their papers, I went and I found a copy of, um, the writer's market. They're, they're, they used to publish, I'm sure they still do, or maybe it's all online now. I don't know, but there was a, I think it was maybe Writer's Digest who published the Writer's Market every year. And the Writer's Market was just a big, uh, basically a phone book of places that were looking for fiction. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that's how you do this. You just find some place like this that's asking for fiction and you send them something. <laughs> and so I was a you know, senior in high school starting to send out short stories to places that I found in the writer's market and none of it was publishable in any way, but it, you know, it was, that was where I started getting the sense of, you know, sitting down and writing a story and showing it to people and getting comments and revising it and then sending it out, you know, in a, you know, printing it out and sending it in an envelope with a self-addressed stamp envelope so that the place could send you their rejection letter and, and waiting by the mailbox for those rejections to come back and right. kind of got, got my taste of how the process worked that way. And I just, I loved it. And I got some, you know, little bits and pieces of positive reinforcement along the way that just kind of like kept me hooked, I guess. I go around to shopping mall bathrooms and leave my books in the... <laughs> You know, stuff like restaurant bathrooms and best uh, places. Yeah. Well, that's why I picked up your book. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, leave some of mine around there when you leave. Yeah, it works really well. You know, it gets it doesn't take long, and before you know it, they're 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 calling you. <laughs> Is that how it works? I've been doing. Yeah, it well, that's how it works. <laughs> you got to get noticed. You know, you do what you have to. So, any of these girls in this device-free weekend were exes of yours that you wrote about? No, no, those uh, I, I can say. You know, I am one of those nerds that. Don't worry, your wife's not listening, so don't worry. I, I was about to say I'm one of those nerds that married his high school sweetheart. Uh, oh, yeah. My, uh, I started dating. So which one is she then? Come on. <laughs> probably the women are both me. Stephen liked them. The women are probably both me too. Really, I, it's you know writing is a writing characters is sort of a narcissistic activity. I think sometimes. Did you guys ever see that movie Being John Malkovich? Yeah, long <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know that scene where John Malkovich himself takes the slide down into his own subconscious and it's all John Malkovich and he comes back saying, uh, I've seen things nobody should ever see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think about that when I'm writing. Well, how does it change you? You write a book like this, and, and like any of your books, once you complete a book and you finish it, do you notice any any difference in yourself or do you think that it's changed you somehow? I think what I notice, you know, like, I guess for me, for me, like writing these novels, even though they're fiction and they're they're genre fiction, they're meant primarily to be entertainment. But nonetheless, they are kind of my way of processing the world around me and what I think about things. Um, you know, like I I started Device Free Weekend with you know really the thought I want to poke around in this idea, and by the time the book is finished, I realize okay. This is what I think about that. <laughs> I even though I even if I don't put it explicitly in the book, I come away with sort of my own deeper understanding of how do I feel about the world of social media and technology. I I now have a better sense of of how I feel about it. Um, and it's not for me to tell you; it's for you to you know come up with your own uh, response to the book. But I personally kind of feel like I understand what I was trying to say. And that, for me, is the function of writing these novels. It helps me understand what I think about my life. So right. positive book reviews are good about your life, then. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, positive book reviews are better than they, better than your life is terrible, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever kill anybody you know in books? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, let's see. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I have abs straight up killed somebody that I know. You just make them suffer. But I have made people suffer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You know, give us some names, phone numbers. We'll we'll get a hold of them. We'll, <laughs> we'll put them on the line. <laughs> yeah. I try to keep. I try to use some sleight of hand there. Like you know, you yeah. yeah. As much as you put yourself into characters, you sort of can't help but put am amalgamations of people that you've met into them too. And i I try to keep it uh, I try to keep it as hidden as possible. I, what I don't I'll mention another movie. There's an old Woody Allen movie called Deconstructing Harry about a writer who just very blatantly plagiarized his own life and the people in it. And so everybody who knew him hated his guts because they all saw themselves in his books. I, I don't want that. 
I think that can happen even if you don't. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah, people see themselves in characters even when they're not, or as far as you know, they're not. Well, I'm just saying that Al writes about serial killers, so <laughs> we got to watch out for Al. Yeah, let's turn this around on you, Al. Yeah, <laughs> How much of yourself is in your serial killers? Well, just the ones that get away. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, you know, but my characters are, already exist. Hmm. Um, I, for for most of the books, I'm not creating characters. I'm not. I, I don't get to really tell you right. who they are. They have to tell the world. Right. So it's it's a little. You get to have control over them, and sometimes it comes from personal experience or how you feel. And I was just saying that. I was just going to say it with the last. Quite often, the thing that you know we notice or see about ourselves. It, you know, when we look in the mirror or the things we don't like, mm-hmm. and we think everyone else see, sees them, yeah. but quite often they don't, yeah. you know. That's... And, and I think that's that's kind of the trick, is uh, or, or the, the thing to be focused on, um, is hitting that. And that's why some people will see themselves in characters, even though they're, they're not, you never even thought about them, but they see something in that character that they feel about themselves. That's interesting, yeah. I think that I think you're onto something there. I, I've heard a lot of writers sort of tell humorous stories about, like, basing an awful character directly on somebody that they know. Yeah. And then the person that they know reads the book and says, oh, my God, that character is so terrible. <laughs> right, because the thing is, they're, they're, it's what they're focused on about themselves. We don't always see right. what everyone else yeah. is looking at, you know. On the flip side of that, I've heard actors uh, say in interviews and things that, you know, like it, when there's makeup involved, you know, with a role, that, that it's almost a freeing experience because you, you, you feel like you're not presenting yourself, like you're hidden behind this, some kind of a mask or something and more able to portray certain things. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably like you in the book. Like you can do things with characters that yeah, sometimes that's why I'll ask what character you sort of, um, you know, put yourself into or feel the most about, you know, because it's... That's a good point. If you if you kind of if you kind of use the characters as a costume, I guess, you, you're, you're right. You probably can do things and say things that, that you wouldn't yourself do or say. Yeah, it allows you to do things that you wouldn't do in real life. Freedoms. Like Ryan Cloverfield. Here's, here's a guy that's doing something really crazy, so I'd be curious to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Be, you know, who knows? It's, uh, it's 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 a weird. That's why that's why you know you've got you know Michael Hawley hanging out down in the <laughs> London giving tours of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, so I wear a Jack the Ripper outfit, you know, something like that. Yeah, it's his way of acting out how he really is. <laughs> well, I do write about serial killers myself, and. Right. Uh, that that narcissism, I just love it. It's just all about me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't, you know. So, um, listen, uh, Sean, how do people find you? I guess they don't really, but you have a website and Facebook. It sounds like. What else? What are what what kind of um, things do you want readers to to find and and locate you at? Where where do you go? Yeah, you can. I, I have a website that is really just like an online business card, you know, with information about my books and stuff, but that's SeanDoolittle.com. 
And if you want to find me on social media, I am on Twitter, and my handle is at Sean Doolittle. There's another very prominent Sean Doolittle out there. Uh, if you follow baseball, um, there's a <laughs> there's a there's a major league pitcher named Sean Doolittle. His handle is something else. I've been confused uh, with him many times online, but I'm I'm the one that's at Sean Doolittle. Well, that's a good way to get a really nice hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried it. <laughs> See, you find out you find out these these stories about people, you know. That's true. <laughs> Well, and you're saying Stephen King. Now, let's see. I have to write that down. Is he a writer? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he's new. I couldn't find <laughs> him on Amazon. I, I guess he's a writer. Yeah, check him out. I, yeah. The books are hard to find, but they're worth it. So what's next? What comes after this? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm working on the next book. Uh, it uh, I I, w- I won't say too much about it right now just because it's in progress and, uh, you know, like, I don't know how it is with nonfiction, but, you know, sometimes in fiction it kind of like, Talking too much about something too early can kind of burst your bubble a little bit, so I'll keep it intact. But I'm working on another thriller. It's kind of a road trip story, uh, and I'll I'll say that it involves um, it involves a brother and a sister, twin siblings, who go on a road trip to scatter their father's ashes. And I'm going to predict what it is. Okay. Kill Monster was your previous one. Yes. Now you're in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I think it's going to be something about Bigfoot. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, well, not specifically, but in spirit, you're closer than 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 you think. See, Al. Yeah. See. Yeah. Well, there you go. You must have wrote this over uh, COVID, and this uh, does that sort of stuff. Do, do weird things around you influence you? I mean, because we talk to some writers, and they'll go, well, you know, um, no problem writing during COVID. It was easy, and it gave me more time. And then we have other people that are so stressed out, you know, anxiety over the world that they're like, can't concentrate. 200 I, words every week, maybe. Right. Um, how was Yeah, it? no, I... Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. This was my pandemic book. I mean, it seems like uh, it seems like every writer wrote a book during the pandemic, and this one was mine. Um, I was one of those writers who found the lockdown to be incredibly conducive to writing, uh, and felt guilty about it a lot of the time because I was aware of how horrible this this period was for so many people, and that I was kind of getting off easy. You know, my family. We, my family didn't get COVID for the first time until uh, just this year. Like, I got it in the fall for the first time, and, and my wife and son uh, just got over their first round. So we really, you know, we really came out, you know, pretty lucky. And uh, it, for me, I'm one of those writers who kind of uh, thrived during the during the lockdown. But in terms of how it influenced the book, I think I think there's a lot. You know, it's really easy to come up with ways to talk about the social, you know, to social media as being a bad thing. Right. Um, you know, as I was writing this book during the lockdown, I was also at all times aware of the fact that social media and computers and technology were the only way we had to stay in touch with our loved ones if we were following the rules and staying indoors and whatever. I mean, it was the thing that was also gluing us all together during that very difficult time. So I wanted both of those aspects to be part of the book. Oh, yeah, I think I think it's with anything, everything that comes along. You know, they thought TV was Satan in a box. Right. We got TV and even the old right. phone things, you know. I saw an old movie the other day where, 
you know, um, it, from from probably the 50s or something. But it was uh, the guy comes next to the house and knocks on the door and invites the lady there and her family over for dinner. And she said, well, why didn't you just telephone me? He goes, I still can't get used to talking to a box. <laughs> right? And so you don't, because we, were, we weren't there that long ago that we can't really remember things like that. But it, you have to wonder how each thing has changed people. And they probably have the same sort of insecurities and feelings. And then, I mean, you're right about, like, the time. Like, I, I've said this before, but, you know, it's it's amazing to me that, you know, the iPhone, which was the, sort of the first of the smartphones that we kind of recognize today and all of us have and we use them for everything, that didn't even come on the scene until 2007. That's only like 15 years ago, you know. I mean, and, and the whole world has changed in that decade and a half. Well, uh, okay. So thank you very much for being on the show. Of course, now your, your newest book, uh, Device-Free Weekend, and that is out now. And it came out February 28th. So uh, the author is our guest, Sean Doodle. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And uh, have a good time in London, Michael. Thank you. And nice speaking with you, Sean. All right. Take care. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is Peter Production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.